Shalom and welcome to another in our series of podcasts from Temple Beth Am, a dynamic center for conservative Judaism in Los Angeles. This is a recording of our weekly Exploring the Parsha class with Rabbi Rebecca Schatz and Rabbi Matt Shapiro. We're going to fast forward a bit through some of the story of how Yitzchak needs a wife. Avram sends a servant. He goes and finds Rivka. Oh, Rivka! Yeah! It's you! That is me. It's her namesake that we're going to be talking well, about a little bit. Okay. No, it's your namesake. It's not why my parents named me that. But okay, we're going to just keep going. Great. Um, so we're going to pick up when um, Rebecca is brought uh, to Isaac when she when she finally comes <clears throat> comes to meet him. So let's pick up end of chapter twenty four. How's that sound? Sure. Great. End of chapter twenty four. Um, we're actually just going to focus on one verse. It's been a while since we've only one verse. Sure. It's a one verse kind of. Right sheet. I think we only did one verse, didn't we? I can't remember that far back. Four weeks ago. <laughs> <laughs> I can barely remember an hour ago. Where am I? Who are you? We're going to pick up in the chapter 24. <laughs> um, uh, Yitzchak goes out in the field, to, uh, to greet the evening. Some might say, he looked up, and he looks, and he makes malim ba'im. Camels are coming. What was it? Batisa Rivka et in turn Rivka raised her eyes. She sees Isaac. We just have to linger in that for a second. She's so excited to see him. She falls right off a camel. It's like mm-hmm. something out of a rom com. What kind of love is this? It's it's falling off camel love. Falling off camel kind of love. That's mm-hmm. the kind of love they've got. Mm-hmm. Until they start bickering over their kids. But for right now it's a falling off kind of camel kind of love. Mm-hmm. And she says to the servant, Who is that camel falling off kind of guy that I'm checking out? Who's coming out of the field towards us? Not, uh, you think she could imply who that might be, but she just fell off a camel, so maybe she hit her head. (laughs) That's my boss. And she took her her scarf, her veil, and she covered herself. She's very from covered herself. Uh, and the servant told Isaac all the things he'd done. He, he, he gave him, he gave him the rundown, just like we're giving you the rundown now. Okay. Here's the verse we're going to be focusing on. Okay. Chapter 24, verse 67. Long chapter. I know. When you said 67 the first time, I thought you meant 6 through 7. No. Nope. You just made a mistake, but you did not. I never miss. Okay. Swish. Mm-hmm. Verse 67. Okay, okay. here we go. Vayibiyaha Yitzchak ha'ohela. And Isaac brought her... Oh, ha'ohela Sarah imo. Yitzchak brought her into the tent of Sarah, his mother, who, uh, this is after all an ironically named Parsha, had passed away recently. Vayikach et Rivka. Vatihiloisha. He took Rivka and he I mean, I don't, I don't know how to break down those verbs, really. Because it's, it's a double verb, but you really just translate it. He took her to be his wife. That's like he took her yeah. and she became for him yeah. his wife. Right. Well, it implies that he slept with her and that's what made her his wife. Right. The old-fashioned the old way. The old-fashioned way. Yeah. Uh, 
Ehaveha, and he loved her. Vainachem Yitzchak Acharen Yitzchak found comfort after after his mother, but but implied after his. Mm-hmm. So, just to speak for um, a moment about why uh, one some of the reasons why I found this verse interesting and how it sort of lines up with the ideas that we've been playing with about mental health and spiritual growth. Um, I, I think there's a, a few interesting pieces here. Um, one of which is the idea of love and relationship, right? That we, we only hear that Yitzchak loves Rivka after he marries here, which is certainly not at marries her, which is certainly not the, the way we think about things in 2021. Um, but just interesting to raise this idea of, um, when and how love emerges in a relationship. This is the first time that the word love is used oh. in the Torah. It's usually my gig. Hmm. Did you know that? I think I knew that somewhere, but uh-huh. it's usually my deal to say when something first shows up in the Torah. Oh, there you go. You're going to put me out of a job. Shows. Well, I often talk about this when I'm at a wedding, so that's how I know it. Oh. I share this bit. What, and um, what do you what do you share about this bit? I'll, I'll, I'm curious to hear how you bitify it. Although, if anyone is listening, if anyone is listening, who mu- you might one day have Rabbi Schatz officiate at your wedding, <laughs> she didn't come up with this special. Piece. Sorry. <laughs> No, I often talk about it around the Bedeckin because Rebecca, we often think about the veiling, you actually said it a second ago, oh, she's so from, we often think about it in a way in which she's covering herself like we might think of more traditional women covering themselves in different ways because it's new, because of modesty, or because of their marital status. Um, But actually, I think, and I I believe this original teaching came from some learning that I did with Rabbi Sean Fieldsmeyer, that I actually think that she veils herself because she needs to remember that she's also a person, that she's not just in, that she's not just now part of a relationship, but that she's still Rebecca, and he's still Isaac, and the things that you love about one another don't go away just because now you're in partnership. In fact, you need to hone in and you need to work on those things that make you the best version of yourself. And hopefully your partner is helping you with that, obviously. Um, But you need to hone in on those things when you're in relationship because those are the things that your partner loves you for. So the veiling of her, and I'm doing a wedding on Sunday, so when you all listen to this, I will have done a wedding on Sunday. Um, that, uh, that, that's a big part of the veiling moment is that you, you are finding, you are reminding yourself to find yourself even in moments of partnership, that they're not just about um, who you become because of your partner or in moments of relationship, but that you too are an individual with unique needs and unique qualities. Um, and hopefully that's part of what your partner loves about you and finds attractive in you. For, for sure. Although in, in counterpoint to that, we only hear about him loving her well mm-hmm. after they're married. Right, but does like, it actually say in the Torah that they are married, or does it just yeah. say that it does? It uses the word married. It, right, right beforehand, because it says, Vayikach et Rivka, Vatihi lo le'isha. But it doesn't say married. 
That just means that he took her as his wife. You no, can't you I'm can't saying... see me because it's an audio recording. I'm I am currently <laughs> rolling my eyes at no, Rabbi Schatz. But all I'm saying is that I think that I, I get what you're saying. Where you're where right. else would it say that they're married? Like it doesn't. It, it's not like three verses later. And oh, by the way, that was just a figure of speech. Uh, no, a hundred percent. But all all I'm saying is that that I think that back in the day, people used to come to love one day. another. From having these experiences together. They were young. They got married young. They didn't know one another, but they got married because it was a good business transaction for their families. Right. And so he, they learned to love one another, which, again, we don't hear that about Abraham and Sarah. Right? So. Oh, totally. No, that piece for sure. I'm just saying that you, it sounds like when you frame it for married couples, and I'm sure you will do slash you did a wonderful job at this weather. <laughs> um it sounds like when you're framing it for couples, you're you're talking about how this idea of love first comes up in this story connected to her maintaining her sense. No, no, no. Of- Not that the love comes up first there. Just the fact that in the in the veiling moment that she's already beginning to realize that if you lose yourself in the relationship that that will not allow you to feel fully loved or feel as though you are providing the person who who the person first found love in. Um, not that not that that's when she first find, comes to love. That's him. lovely. That's a lot to be hanging on those three words. But that's a that's a that's a lovely idea. Which three words? That she like veils herself. Like there's a uh, lot getting interpolated. I just I just don't love the idea that it's because she needed to cover her face because she's a woman, which is oh, obviously the reason yeah. why we why like traditionally a veil is used at a wedding. I think I think the idea of a the, woman the, the veiling the veiling as a move towards building love in the relationship and maintaining identity with him. Maintaining identity. Yeah. Yes, exactly. Exactly. Okay. And that that can build love. And that that can that can help build love. That it doesn't just have to be that love is something that that is only about the moments of togetherness, but also the moments where individuals grow um, and that love grows with them. Yeah. This is much more than I say typically at a wedding. <laughs> the long, I'm glad we long, got the long, it's a long wedding. <laughs> yeah, a really long wedding. Rabbi yeah. Yeah. <laughs> wedding ceremony with Rabbi Shach. Yeah. Five hours long. And that's just at the Bedeckin. Yeah, that's just the Bedeckin. It's an all-day affair. Three-hour Bedeckin. Yeah. Yeah. Sounds sounds like a party. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> I was even... What was I, what was I saying? I don't even remember what I was saying. Your time, I just brought the fact that... Um, that Veyeha Veha was... Is the first... Oh, first time you're talking. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. But you were then going to talk about marriage and love and relationships and mental health and spirituality. <laughs> <laughs> Not to give anything away. Spoiler alert. Spoiler alert. <laughs> no, but you're talking about, I mean, you're talking about, like, how you like talking about Hasi do too. I mean, you're talking mm-hmm. about building healthy relationships. Mm-hmm. Even if the love, I still think the love piece is a stretch. But it's a, it's a, love, it's a lovely idea. Thank you. You're welcome. <laughs> and hi, Rabbi Seanfield. Lovely, lovely draft. No, just the, the one other piece I was going to name was this idea. Um, yeah. Is the recording still work? We're both, we're both <laughs> getting calls. As this is happening, I just got a call from Rabbi Hillary Shorney. Rabbi Schatz just got a call from Rabbi Amanda Russell. So we're 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 very popular. Very popular with the rabbis. We know a lot of rabbis. Rabbis and the rabbis who love them. (laughs) Great. Yeah. I'm actually currently with Mm. 
Rob, I Amanda Russell, which is why you're listening to this as a podcast. What do you mean you're currently with I mean, like, as you're listening, I you am don't know with when Rob, I Amanda Russell. Maybe they listen to it after this weekend. Yeah, maybe. Okay. All right, we should go. You don't know where though. you are when people are listening that to this podcast. That is very good. Okay. I missed a shot with a water bottle. Okay. What? They should get the experience okay. just like we're on Zoom together with okay, all of so its the wonderful... Out the one what? No, hold on. I was going to say something else. Oh, okay. Really? Okay, well, you, you just keep distracting me. <laughs> what I was going to say before I was so rudely interrupted by every rabbi we know calling us is you can't see this. Anyone, no one's on video. <laughs> Rabbi Shots is, is, okay, is, is having a... a a fit on my couch. Also, in case you're hearing glass clinking, it's because I'm eating lunch while we're doing this. Just so everyone can <laughs> can have a, a picture in their mind of what's happening. Okay. Okay. Spiritual health. <laughs> <laughs> I'm disruptive to Rabbi Schatz's mental and spiritual health. Um, this idea of comfort, this idea that through love and relationship that Isaac finds comfort, and on the on the one hand, that it seems a a a little uncomfortable and a little fraught and vaguely edipal that he's mm-hmm. like yeah. finding comfort through love and intimacy specifically in his mother's tent right there's something that feels you know vague, vaguely uncomfortable about that yeah. and at the same time that there's i think a lot of resonance in the idea that when we're having a tough time or grieving or moving through a difficult experience that it's through love and connection and intimacy mm-hmm. um, with others and in, right intimacy in all of its forms, right? Intimacy obviously isn't just sexual intimacy um, intimacy in all of its forms that, that that's how we can find mm-hmm. um, comfort and, and move through that, that pain by, by connecting with, with other people in, in a loving and close way. So mm-hmm. that's, that's the other piece that jumps out to me in this realm of like, what is it to, you know, be spiritually centered, mentally healthy when you're grieving? I mean, yeah. I think I'm sure you hear this often as well, that when people are mourning, they talk about the role of community in yeah. helping them right. get, and that that's part of what was so difficult when we were in lockdown during COVID that, People were saying Kaddish mm-hmm. in their homes by themselves, and mm-hmm. people were having funerals when there was basically nobody there and we couldn't really do Shiva. Mm-hmm. And that as we're now moving out of that, that people are again able to, even though they're in the backyard, that people are able to have Shiva Minyani, yeah. and people are able to say Kaddish in person. And that even though that's, of course, painful, mm-hmm. um, that there is something supportive um, and comforting by mm-hmm. by being around others and being in relationship with them when when you're grieving so i think i think i think that's that's found in this too there's also there's this beautiful rashi that is really um a midrash from brashit rabba about how sarah used to light the candles and bake the challah and those things stopped when sarah she lights the candles then she drinks the wine there's a matriarch knocking at my door. Knocking one, two, this three. This song is actually called the dinosaur song. So There's we just a matriarch for a matriarch, which you can drosh if you'd like. Um, so Rashi talks about how Sarah, when Sarah was living, um, the 
those things were happening for Shabbat. Um, though it actually doesn't say Shabbat, which is interesting. I guess it's just implied. Um, implied Shabbat. That, that from one Shabbat, oh no, it does, it does. It says from one Shabbat to the next. Okay, sorry. From Explosive one Shabbat, Shabbat to the next, um, that, that these things were, were kind of apparent in the tent. And then when Sarah dies, the candles go out and the challah is not being made. But then when Rebecca comes back, they reappear. And I think that though this is a midrash and, and who knows, um, if that was specifically happening or, um, or the roles that each of them took on, it is interesting to think about whether in grief or just in partnership, um, in general, that there are certain people in our lives who we try to emulate when we are right. finding partnership, uh, again, whether that's romantic or just friendship or, um, or communal kind of, uh, support and satisfaction based on the things that we've experienced before us. And so I remember when I, um, right after my uncle died and I moved to Israel, one of the things that was most supportive for me and that I found the most comfort in was finding people who had similar qualities that he did, uh, that could kind of fill those holes in my bucket, so to speak. Um, uh, with his absence and, uh, you know, there, there are people that you are drawn to based on the experiences and the love that you have for other people in your life. And so I think that's, what's happening here with Rebecca in terms of what Sarah brought to Isaac in his life. And yeah, for sure. There's like a little bit of this edible relationship going on, but also just the very, well, I mean, let's also, let, yeah. you know, this was also in a cultural context in which they intentionally sought out relatives to marry. So. Oh, totally, totally. But I think it's also just this context of, like, even in twenty, the 21st century, like, you you are drawn to people who remind you of others that you enjoy being around. And so you end up being yeah. around people who are similar in those ways. That's true. That's true. Um, I often tell hmm. Rabbi Shapiro that he reminds me of my brother's. So maybe that's why I'm able to tolerate him a little bit more. Although all of your brothers are younger than you, and I already am older than you. <laughs> that, is, that is a good point. Technically. As the as the crow flies. Yeah. Okay. Um, did you have any other... There was one other love piece I wanted to bring up. Did you have anything mm. else on, on grieving specifically that you wanted to... Mine is actually mostly on... But, um, okay, great. So go for it. There's there's a love piece I have, but we can hang on. Is yours yep. from Kedushat Levy? Sure is. Oh, right. Oh, right. We found it together. Right. I forgot. Okay. So I'll do the other two pieces. So um, Sforno says something that I thought was really sad, but also beautiful um, in terms of then the Rebecca piece. Sforno says that until this time, until this moment in the story... Isaac had actually refused consolation um, uh, for the death of his mother, but that because Rebecca emulated so many aspects of who Sarah was, both in his life and in terms of characteristics, he was able to receive that comfort. Mm. It's really, really interesting. And I'm actually not so sure what to do with that, other than I remember that um, Rabbi Eddie Feinstein said at Shiva from my uncle, same, same uncle, um, that he wishes he could write a book of all the things you shouldn't say at a Shiva call. Um, and I, and this kind of, I don't know, maybe speaks to that a little, that maybe you're drawn to people during those moments who can like say the right things, 
be yeah. the right kind of presence. Um, and maybe that was Rebecca for him where others hadn't been. Yeah. Oh, I mean, it also brings to mind for me, there's this idea that has taken hold in our culture, the idea of the five stages of grief. Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. Right? Which I I didn't know these off the top of my head. I did quickly Google them. Just uh, to be transparent. Full transparency. (laughs) um, But denial and isolation, Mm -hmm. uh, anger, bargaining, depression, and acceptance. Mm. Now, like two notes on that. One is that, of course, it's interesting to see the like, the first one that's listed is denial and isolation, mm-hmm. right? And it's it's sometime after the death mm-hmm. that Rivka comes. So it might yeah, be true. that it's something about her, yeah, yeah. and it might also be that ready. that he was he was more in a place where yeah. he was ready to be an right. acceptance of it. Right. You know, I think mm-hmm. there's something to that too. Mm-hmm. And second thought, you know, second thought A and B. Second thought A. It's not like once you've achieved a stage, you're out of it. And yeah. B, there was sort of some work done after they were initially put out there that, like, it, it's not always linear in the way that they were listed. So, right, yeah. you, you might you might have a period of denial and then a period of bargaining and then a period of acceptance and then back to some denial and then back into some anger, right? Like, it's, yeah. it's not necessarily um, linear, but to, to Sforno's sort of intuitive point, mm-hmm. um, yeah, like, maybe he just wasn't, wasn't ready to really connect with with other people i mean i've i've seen mourners like that there there are mourners who really do want to be right, around other right. people there are mourners who really like you can come for me but then get out of my house right, right? i really right. don't want to be around right. other people right now. well i think that also plays into something we've talked a lot about um over the course of this podcast just you know being an introvert versus an extrovert and, and really recognizing that so much more during this pandemic yeah. of what kind of energy do I need in those moments, right? There's lots of, and, and also within a family, it could be very different. So when you're sitting Shiva, if you have a big family, there might be some members of the family that really want that closeness and really want that supportive community and others who just want to be alone or just want to be with each other as opposed to an entire kind of, group of people outside of that. Right. Well, and, and that that can be very challenging if there's yeah. members of the same family who have very different needs. Right, life. right. Hizkuni actually plays off of this Forno piece and says that now that Isaac had become comforted, it actually means that he had come to terms with the death of his mother. So speaking to your right. point, that like he was now ready to actually yeah. um, receive that. But he comes to terms with the death of his mother when he sees that his wife possesses the virtues that she had been famous for, mm. which is really beautiful that, I mean, it kind of actually loops all of these now in like that Brayshit Rava piece and the Sforno piece of, he wasn't necessarily looking for it, but it was clear that he was more connected to somebody who possessed those qualities and those attributes than someone who didn't. Right. Um to, to kind of bring him out of this grief. Anyway, so those were my yeah. <clears throat> which which you know I think goes into like the much bigger question of like what is it to really be comforted, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. right? Is that you, yeah, sure. you 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 find someone who reminds you of that person, you you find a way to be an acceptance of it. You like right. enough time elapses that right. the, that the acute pain is it. You know, there's mm-hmm. there's you know, and the answer to all those is of course yes, right? There's, right. There's, it's not, it's not just one or the other, but mm-hmm. I think it raises some interesting questions around like what, what comfort looks like for different people in different capacities. Right. Yeah. Right? Okay. You want to do our Katusha Levy piece? 
it's our Kadoosh Hunt Lady piece. We I share, mean, we share him. It. We have shared, shared it's custody, expensive. shared custody. It's of the a lovely piece. Why, why don't, I, I'm curious to hear what you have to say. No, 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 you say it first. I just did all those. You do it first. But you're, you've done them so well. Thank you're, you. That's you're, you're on a roll. No, no, you do this one. All right. Your, your roll is terminated. <laughs> Could have kept going. It's not terminated. It's just going to be enhanced. <clears throat> Alright, we'll see. Um, <laughs> okay, maybe it's not gonna be in hands, but <laughs> so so the Kadushat Levy picks up on this idea of of what does it mean that that he he loved her, and mm-hmm. and I think to Rabbi Schatz's point, calling attention to the fact that this is the first time that this this verb shows up in the Torah, right? What what's so extraordinary about this love that this is the first time this shows up in the right. Torah, right? Um. And he, I'll just I'll I'll read it out. A husband can love his wife on two different levels. He may love her, as in be physically attracted to her, as she enables him to satisfy his desires. If this is his love, this Kedusha Levi says, and and it's it's so interesting the way that he says this. And he says a no ohev ishto klal. He actually, if that's the quote unquote love, it is that's not love. At all, rock ohev et atzmo. He only loves himself, mm-hmm. right? And just to to pull that apart a little, right? That if if all he's seeing in her is something through which he can get, like like fulfill his desires, that's that's not really love. Right. Um, it actually just reminds me of I, I gave a, a much longer. I think it was a high holiday sermon actually on this a few years ago. Um, Rabbi, Rabbi Dr. Abraham Torsky, Zichonali Racha, um, he had this bit on, on fish love. Have you ever seen this video, Rabbi Schatz? I don't think so. Well, I don't know. What you're um, about. everyone can Google, go on YouTube, Google Rabbi Abraham Torsky fish love. He talks, he uses it to illustrate a point, but he hears someone talking about how he loves fish, how much he loves fish, and he talks about, you don't, you don't love the fish. You love the way the fish tastes uh-huh. you love that the fish help your stuff you don't love fish you love what the fish does for you mm-hmm. that's that's mm-hmm. not love mm-hmm. that's that's just craving that's mm-hmm. just that's just desire mm-hmm. he, he he does a better job with it but the point is made non-standing um and then he goes on to say there are husbands who do not love their wives because they are instruments of fulfilling their physical desires but because their wives enable them to perform their creator's will better and more profoundly. This is the true meaning of loving your wife. Now, I'll say, like, this is A, in a pretty traditional context, and B, in a very gendered context, right? So, like, like yes, it, it's you can understand it that way. I'm sure all of the meets vote that Yitzchak didn't know about yet were what Rivka enabled him to perform, and that's why he loved her. Yeah. Um, but... You know, extrapolating that out a bit, that what love is in this context is that she helped him to be the best version of himself. Right. Right. And that the love isn't just that they enjoyed each other's company physically. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It was that there is something about her that helped him to be the best version mm-hmm. of, of who he could be in the world, right. which also then connects with the comfort piece, right? right. And, and part right. of that might be that because of their relationship, he was able to find some comfort, which helped him move out of grieving and into a place where he could be more present in the world right. and, and move on what right. next. But also just in general, this idea of, of what love can be and what a loving relationship can be is that, mm-hmm. that it can help us to, um, 
be versions of ourselves and achieve things in the world and and grow into versions of ourselves that we really couldn't um, without without that that person with whom we're in a loving relationship. Mm-hmm. So that's what I don't know, I don't know if that's where you were going to go with that, but that's that's what I liked about that. Yeah, I, I mean I. I think I just like the complexity of it. Like, I like the complexity of that, that, first of all, this implies that love grows, right? That it's not saying that it is not love to be attracted to someone and find, and find, um, initial connection with that person that then grows the love, but that that's, that can't be the end of it, right? Some uh-huh. might say that's just lust. Right. Um, but that then there's, this this real like profound love that comes from really knowing the person and um being able to to be a partner in creating whether it's a family or just life together or whatever it is that that is the complexity piece of of that love and i i think that for me was the part of it that it, it takes the verse and it takes it from this place of like, yes, there was this physical element of he took his wife or he took her to become his wife. And that's physical as we read it in the Torah. But then it says, and he loved her and that there's those two pieces of like, I was physically attracted to her. And then it grew into this ability of knowing her and loving her and caring for her and wanting more than just the physical aspect of, um, as he says here, his to satisfy his biological urges, which I think biological urges is a funny well, as a, as a, a tra- funny as term. As a translator, I don't think Kedusha Lama said I hope he did. That would be very funny. <laughs> um, yeah, te'u gufanit. Gufaniot. Desire. Well, I guess. Gufaniot is bo- physical, body. Yeah. I mean, physical, physical desire. Anyway, um... So that's that's where I was going. The similar directions, yeah. I think, for me, just I mean, having not had a you know a, an eleven year marriage, um, there's there's less for me to pull on than there is for you to pull 12, on. Twelve, I think. But yeah, twelve. Twelve. Yeah, twelve. Oh, 12. Ooh, sorry, excuse me, yeah. everyone. God, you got me worried for a second. I was like, wait a minute, I think I know <laughs> sorry, how many years. Twelve year marriage. I still <laughs> haven't had an eleven year marriage, <laughs> but also haven't had a. Let alone a twelve year one. Usually, you go from eleven to twelve. It's that 11th year that you really can't skip over in there. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's the kicker. Well, it was the COVID year for you, so, you know. Yeah. Um, Yeah, Well, let me tell you. (laughs) Just a very quick story. We've been been very serious so far. So when Sarah and I adopted the cat, our first cat, Mm -hmm. because we have two. Another um, class for another time. We, we had we we had to in, the second cat we got it was like just a kitten and we were able to just like scoop it up and he just got neutered. And he, Sarah accidentally drugged our cat. Okay, by we the don't way. need to actually go through all this. Um, he's fine. The cat's fine. Yeah. He just accidentally gave him a little too much painkiller after he got neutered, Good. Uh-huh. Um, which was very funny. Uh, very stoned cat. We're just gonna keep going. Um, but the first cat we got which we had to like adopt through this agency, we had to do this very intensive interview to get the cat. And they, and it was, it took an hour and a half at culminating and then like asking us, if you get divorced, who gets the cat? First of all, we have three kids who we've been able to care for pretty successfully for upwards of 10 when years you get divorced, now. I want the kids. So, no, that's not what's happening. That wasn't the point. The point was if we can parent the kids, I think we can own the cat. Oh, and also that, like, we were getting asked this after a year of pandemic, like, 
If you make it through your pandemic, yeah, you're probably okay. I think. Yeah. But anyway, we have not been a married, not been a married, <laughs> not been married for eleven years. Twelve. But in fact, twelve. All right. What were you saying? No, I just I think that it's coming from two different places. Given that I also haven't lived through this, like. I haven't lived through the full cycle of this, right? right there are right. ways in which I feel like I've lived through aspects of this commentary, but not through the entirety of the cycle. And so we just came at it at two different experience levels. Yeah, yeah. Well, and, and also that it's, you know, we we started with this a little bit, just that the sequence is also interesting. And mm-hmm. and I think belies a little bit the Kedushat Levy's point, because it does say first, like, like he, mm-hmm. he, he took her, right? Mm-hmm. That, that, that mm-hmm. was what was first. Mm-hmm. But it doesn't say that he loved her, right? There's a mm-hmm. different verb there, and that right. he is distinguishing right, here right. between what it is to have a sexual experience with someone mm-hmm. and to actually love them, love them. Yeah, and that, totally. that is, that it's much, that it's much deeper than that. And, mm-hmm. and again, then I'll, I'll connect it from there into this idea of comfort that through that love, maybe that's, that's part of what makes it possible for, for him to be comforted and all the different right. ways we were talking about that. Right. That's what I got. Anything else? Do you want to, do you want to bow it? I thought I just did. Oh, that was the bow? I thought it was a small bow, but it was a little okay. bow. It was a, no, that's good. Do you have a better bow? No, that was fine. Do you have a big bow? I don't. Do you have a, a glorious bow to, to cap us off? I don't. All right. Well, sorry for the unsatisfying bow, everyone, but that's about the best we can do. We've done two of these in a row now. I think, so. oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, you're going to, oh. No, no, no. I was just, I was just oh, going to Oh, here we add. go. No, it's yeah. not a bow. It's a bow. No, it's not. Okay. I would just add that it's always interesting when a word gets brought up for the first time to see where then it gets brought up again in the Torah. So just if people are interested to have in your consciousness where the word ahava, right, where the word love comes up again in our Torah, what that relationship is. Is it a similar type of relationship? Is it a similar type of love, right? As we just discussed, there are many different types of that love. Um and just how the word now continues to be used now that it's been introduced to us in our Torah. That's all. Do you know off the top of your head where it shows up next? I believe it is with Jacob. Oh, yeah. But I actually don't know. I mean, that is a guess off the top of my head. That is not a fact. Ooh, let's quickly play the concordance game and see if Rabbi Shaft is right. Okay. People will have to wait. Because Rabbi Shaft is well, just to looking cl- it up in uh, real time. Uh, 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 I was wrong? Oh. Next, there's a lot of love. There's a whole lot of love. Okay. There's a whole lot. Of, first of all, this actually, what, this is the first time it shows up in the context people? of a, a mm-hmm. the first time it shows up at being Yechicha at Asher Ahavta, which I was talking about ah, earlier today or true. last week. Um, oh, so this is the first time it shows up in a romantic relationship. Uh-huh, good. Okay. Thank you for um, And then just a few verses later, it shows up in the context again of loving a child that Isaac loves Esav and Rivka loves Yaakov. So I was right, Jacob. Yeah, but actually the next time is Asaph. Oh, it says Asaph first? Ah, uh, interesting. There you go. Hmm. Something to grow on. Yeah. As Great. we move forward, thinking about love and comfort relationships. All and you need is love. All right. Shabbat Shalom, everyone. Shabbat Shalom from the past, the present, and the future. Uh, I will see you next week. I will see you. And two. Further distance on. Shabbat shalom. Shabbat shalom. You have been listening to another in our series of podcasts from Temple Beth Am, a dynamic center for conservative Judaism in Los Angeles. 
If you enjoy these podcasts, we invite you to write a review on the Apple Podcast site or wherever you get your podcasts. For more information about Temple Beth Am Los Angeles, go to tbala.org.